0: Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Norton. This is Jet Nation Radio, joined, as always, by my co-host, Alex Varallo.
1: Um, Alex, how you doing, bud? Doing well. Uh, the tank lives on, my friend. And we are here <laughs> to deliver another excellent episode on Jet Nation Radio. For all our listeners that just can't leave this team behind, we are here again for you.
0: Yeah, you know, so I saw somebody say today um if Trevor Lawrence, you know, the Jets end up with this first pick and they get Trevor Lawrence, um there's and, and things don't work out, then that's it, like they're they're done being a fan. And I just thought I I said the same exact thing when they got Sam Darnold. I was like if this guy's not the franchise quarterback, I'm never watching this team again. But here I am. And uh <laughs> and, and, and again, I'm 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 among those it feels like Sam Darnold is going to land somewhere like Pittsburgh or New Orleans. And he's going to be absolutely fine. He's going to, you know, that, but that, that, that's another discussion for another time. Uh, thing, you know, stuff I wanted to touch on this week, Alex, of course, the loss to San Diego. 0-10, officially the single worst start for the New York Jets, even under Rich Cotite. They were not this bad. Um, and I think, you know, at least to me, that's been obvious for a couple of months now that this is a worse situation than they had under Kotite. Uh, There are those who disagree, but the numbers speak for themselves. There were a few encouraging signs in this game. And this is kind of, as a lot of people have said, these are kind of the perfect scenarios. This is what you want to see. Um, When you want that first pick, when you want Trevor Lawrence, it's no fun watching 38-3 to blowouts. Like, watching a loss is no fun anyway, but it's like, Jesus, give me something positive that I can hang on to going into next year. Um, And now the last couple weeks we've seen that. Uh, we've seen the receivers start make plays, start making plays, namely Rashad Perriman. Denzel Mims getting into the mix now, and he was absolutely fantastic the other night. If not for a few pass interference calls, he would have had a huge night. Um, the defense, Quinn and Williams, to me, um, had another fantastic game. I went back and rewatched the All-22. I counted, uh, I mean, it, it's splitting hairs. I counted eight quarterback pressures for Quinn and Williams. I looked at PFF. They had him down for seven. He did have a half a sack. Um, And, Alex, listen, this game, as is often the case, um, but I felt like that first drive was the best the Jets' offensive line has looked all year. I mean, they were just steamrolling San Diego in the run game. Everybody was getting involved. I mean, you know, obviously you got Beckton, but Lewis made some nice blocks. Um, Van Roten. Van Roten's been better of late anyway. He was all right. I mean, basically they really were bullying the Chargers around up front and you kind of had a feeling like it's probably not going to last because, um, you know, teams come out fired up and and they, they eventually settle down, which the Jets did, but still averaged a respectable 4.1 a carry between LaMichael P. Ryan and Frank Gore, each of whom scored a touchdown. So the really the trenches, Alex, on both sides of the ball, I thought the defensive line and the linebackers too, I thought they did a pretty damn good job of getting pressure, of shutting down the run. I think Kalen Balazs, was under two yards to carry. Quinn and Williams with his seven pressures. I think Jordan Jenkins at five. Henry Anderson, easily his best game of the year. John Franklin Myers continued to impress up front. Foley Fadakasi made some plays. And this this to me is um, the saving grace, so to speak. Like, you got to have something, as I just said, you got to have something to build upon, to look forward to next year. Like, you can't just go into a year and feeling like, there is absolutely nothing in place to build around. But that's really not the case with the Jets. That front seven has the ability to be pretty good, even without Jenkins and, and, and uh, Anderson, who will be gone after this season. But also the receivers. You know, when Trevor Lawrence gets here, he's not going to be in Sam Donald's situation. He's not going to be thrown to undrafted, um, you know, unproven B-list guys that no other team wanted. He's going to have Mims. He's going to have Crowder. And I, that one of the things I wanted to, wanted to discuss is will he have Perryman? Perryman came here on a one-year deal. Um, and let, let's start with your thoughts on, on how they looked up front, and then we'll get to Perryman and, and and who should stay and who should go and things like that. But what did you think of the defensive line, Alex? What do you think of the offensive line? Um, were you as impressed by them as I was?
1: Uh, little, you know, I'm half and half on the, the scenario here. Um, I didn't think they played very well in the first quarter. Um, you know, they had that the opening drive, but like you said, Chet's um, got a little bit of luck on their side with some passing interference calls and things like that um, to help them move the ball. Um, but they were kind of flat after that first drive. I mean, they didn't um, score any more points until the third quarter. Um, So this was one of the scenarios where in recent weeks we've seen the team come out looking good with the scripted plays in the first half and then not really doing too much in the second half. This was the complete opposite. The Jets came out slow in the first half, and then they picked up the pace in the second half, kind of like what you and I alluded to, um, that San Diego – or San Diego – the Los Angeles Chargers, forgive me, um, have just been one of those teams that cannot close out the game and they constantly blow leads in the fourth quarter. And it almost looked that way um, because the Jets just kept chipping away and they just kept, you know, um, putting points on the board. And, you know, San Diego kind of – jeez, I said it again. um, The Chargers just (laughs) went ahead and put it in neutral. And, uh, yeah, forgive me for my goof. We'll have to put that on the bloopers. Um, But you can totally see that, you know, this is the reason why uh, the Chargers have – Uh, struggled this year because they don't close out games strong. And it was just kind of odd to see the Jets playing better in the second half compared to, you know, their, um, I wouldn't say hot starts in the beginning, but they looked like a formidable football team in the first half for the last few weeks. Um, You know, this past week, you know, had they had a better first half, if they were able to, you know, limit their turnovers and and get some things going in the first half, uh, we could have easily won this game, I feel. But, uh, you know, we're, we're still a struggling football team. And uh, we had some lineup changes at the offensive line again. Connor McDermott had to come in for, for a little bit. And, you know, we just can't seem to get five of the same offensive players um, at any given Sunday um, anymore. Um, you know, so that's something that maybe Joe Douglas was going to have to look at next offseason is not just finding talent, at the offensive line, but finding players that are durable and can withstand six, a 16-, 17-week schedule. Um, that's a big factor. Um, we need to find players that have proven that they could stay healthy on the field. Um, now to go over to the defensive side, um, Quentin and Williams and John Franklin Myers looked pretty good. Uh, I would definitely like to see those two guys being our future defensive ends. Um, for, for this defense, whomever the coordinator may be. Um, and, and, you know, we, we're not going to be able to speculate right now on what the future holds, but I really like um, how certain players are really starting to develop. Polaranzo Fadakasi still doing his thing in the trenches. And even the, the corners that went up against one of the best wide receivers in the league, Keenan Allen, um, even though he had a career day uh, and had, I don't know, 15 or 16 receptions, you know, there were times in which these young rookies uh, played quite well. So, like you said, um, it's not all just, you know, doom and gloom. Um, there are some young players, um, you know, selectively around this team that show some promise at this point. So I came away pretty uh, content, you know, with the fact that we looked better in the second half. Um, the tank is still alive for all the the Trevor Lawrence Tankathon fans out there, and you know Joe Flacco just continues to show that take shots, take your shots when you get them, and what do you got to lose at this point in the season? Um, you know the Jets should not be playing conservative at all at this point. Open up the playbook and let's let let's let it rip and let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, and what were your thoughts, Alex? I thought this was funny because um. Rich Samini brought it up to Adam Gase after the game. This is something I tweeted mm-hmm. out, I think, three weeks ago. Uh, whatever whatever the second week um, under uh, where the offense was supposedly being called by Dow Logans. Um, and mm-hmm. I sent out this tweet where Adam Gase was clearly between plays, staring at his play sheet and talking into his headset. And I said, you know, I thought, I thought Dow was calling the plays. So it took three weeks, but apparently the media noticed it yesterday. And uh, Rich Cimini asked Adam Gase about it. And Gase basically said, uh, yeah, Dowell's calling the plays, but first he tells me the play. And then I call it in, and I have the ability to veto the play. So really what's happening is Adam Gase is, <laughs> Adam Gase is letting Dowell Logans suggest plays to him. And if he likes it, he'll run it. And if he doesn't, he'll call what he wants. So Adam Gase is still calling the offense which, to be fair, has performed better of late. Um, But Gay still insists that he's not calling the plays. This reminds me of uh, when my wife and I were talking about getting a dog for our kids. You know, we we wanted to let the kids feel like they named the dog. So we were going to pick out like five names that we thought were acceptable and tell them they could pick the dog's name, but it had to be one of these. So that way the kids get a pat on the head. Oh, you picked a really good name, but you didn't really pick the name. Um, hell, it's almost like a presidential election. You can tell people they get to pick the <laughs> candidate, but you tell them who they can vote for. You know, you're like, oh, you, get, you can vote for whoever you want, but it's going to be one of these two, whether you like it or not. And I'm not making it a partisan thing. I don't care which side. I'm just saying right. it's where you tell people that they're involved in making a choice. But really, the decision maker is the one making that choice for you. So um, what did you, Adam Gase seem to get a little antsy about that. I don't think he liked it to mean he caught him on that. Um, oh, what, what, what's the big deal, Rich? What's the big deal? He tells him to play a call and it's not that hard. Uh, blah, blah, blah. What, what, who cares, Rich? Well, you care if you're telling people that Dow Logan is calling the plays. So now we know, Logan suggests the play, Gase signs off on it, or he does not and calls his own if he doesn't like Dowell's call. Um, any thoughts on Adam
1: Gase's enormous ego, Alex? You you know, that's the one thing that I think I'm going to miss most about Adam is just his reactions and the way he handles the media. Uh, I think that's the only good thing that he does for this organization is that he takes on those tough questions and, and those, you know, those little nitpicking topics that, you know, Todd Bowles would give you a very lukewarm answer and just kind of mumble mouth a little bit and and just not give you anything. um, So they just wouldn't even go there. I think the media knows that they can kind of throw these zingers at Gase and and they'll get a good reaction from him. Um, But, you know, we were onto this, you know, several weeks ago when we heard about the change. We're seeing, you know, we're calling it as we see it, and we see Gase is talking to somebody, and he's still holding that, that clipboard in the play sheet, and he's, you know, crossing plays out and circling things. So it's like he's talking to somebody. He's working on something over there. What exactly is the deal? So, we got our answer. Um, It's a modification to the play calling. Um, Bill has the power, um, as we know. And, you know, I guess what the difference is is that when you have um, – I'm going to use a baseball reference here. We still have the same pitcher on the mound. We just have a different catcher calling the game now, Um, if you can understand what I'm saying. And, and, you know, some pitchers – do really, really well with, like, their guy, not the necessarily the household guy. Um, um, if, if, you know, you can understand kind of where I'm going with that. Um, you know, I just remember certain pitchers on the Yankees of the past where, you know, they wouldn't have, like, Jorge Posada. They'd have, like, you know, Martin or whoever it was that was the backup because they right, worked right. better you with that. Clarity.
0: Right, right, you have clarity. Right, but you're putting clarity. Flag- this is, to me, if it's a baseball analogy, you're saying, you're benching Posada, John Flaherty starting behind the plate, but you're going to have Flaherty look in the dugout and check with Posada before every pitch. And Posada is going to say yes or no, if you can call that. Cause this is the thing. Right, it's right. not, it's not the, the other guy is calling it. It's the other guy is checking with the main guy to see if it's okay for him to call what he wants to call. So he's really not calling it. Um, and that's just kind of, listen, I, I, when Adam Gay said he gave up play calling, I was like, hang on a minute. It, first of all, the guy's got he's got an ego the size of the Grand Canyon I just don't see it happening um and then he uh he went from and this is something that a lot of people missed out on um if you remember he was asked about you know are you going to give up play calling no no we talked about it as a coach as a coaching staff um everyone who works for me agreed that I'm brilliant and I'm I'm going to continue calling plays and then like four days later he says um they ask him again about it after the next game. And he said, what did he say? He said, that's, that's giving up play calling is about the 10th thing we would do right now. We're on step two. So he's saying that's the 10th thing they can change. They're on the second thing. And literally by that Sunday, he was like, yeah, I gave up play calling. I think he basically said, I'm tired of being asked about this. Um, I'm way better than any of these people. So I can't be bothered with their problems. So I'm just going to tell them that Dowell is calling the plays. But Dowell, you run the plays through me, and I'll call the ones that I agree with, and I won't call the ones that I don't agree with. And that way, I'm only half-lying um, instead of just out-and-out out lying. So that, that's kind of where we are with Adam Gase for what we hope will be his final six games as an employee in the NFL. Um, I can't see another team hiring that maniac to work for them, but stranger things have happened. Um, so Gase is calling the plays, uh, via Logan's who recommends them. And, and, and again, like I said, the offense has been a little bit better, you know, so that's, that's a positive, but we're also still seeing some, you know, some idiotic stuff. Take for example, um, (laughs) I thought this was hilarious. Um, Adam Gase, I don't know if you caught this, Alex, Adam Gase said the other day after the game, he said it Monday, I believe, uh, went back and watched the film. I think, uh, I think Jameson Crowder, if, things had, if, if Joe Flacco had made the right read, he left that part. Like, he never says the quarterback by name, but like what he said yesterday, he, he said when they asked him first about why, why did the receivers not have any targets in the first half, um, he said, well, the ball didn't go there, like as if it's up to the ball and, and where it goes. So what he's saying is Flacco didn't throw the ball to the receivers, um, which is fine. Uh, But just say, just say what you mean. Say Joe Flacco didn't throw the ball to the receiver. Don't say the ball didn't decide to go in that direction. Um, But then he says on Monday after watching the film, Jamison Crowder was so open, he could have had 15 catches in the first half. Now that's a bold statement. That means the guy is open on every single play by quite a lot, which is possible because Jamison Crowder is a good player. Um, What's not possible, however, is to have 15 catches, in the first half, where you ran eight pass plays. So it was run, 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 couple passes mixed in. Uh, Adam Gase called eight, pl- I'm sorry, Dowell Logan's wink, wink, called eight pass plays. Um, and Adam Gase says that as a result of those eight pass plays, if, if Joe Flacco had been better, Jamison Crowder would have had 15 catches, which that would have to be some kind of record, Alex. I would imagine no one's ever caught 15 balls on eight pass attempts. Um so Jameson Crowder clearly playing at a very high level. But what 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 do you do you, do you think this is a, a Flacco thing? Do you think Joe Flacco uh has forgotten how to play quarterback and that's why we saw I what was it? I think Chris Herndon had two catches and Ty Johnson had one and that was uh, that was all of the all of the catches for the Jets in the first half. Yeah,
1: that was just completely bizarre. Um you know the I guess time of possession wasn't on their side as well during that, that first quarter that first half. Um, you know, the Chargers clearly were just moving the ball and scoring points on us, and, and we just weren't – didn't really seem like we were very, very effective. I mean, yeah, you just saw a, a lots of different um, – I, I don't know if it was execution, um, you know, just more or less just things – whatever they had scripted, let's just say um, – wasn't wasn't a good game plan to to get after this team, um, you know I think it was Flacco's first pass of was a pick six or something crazy like that, I mean yep. how did how did that happen you know, um, just really really bizarre and, and just got off uh, got onto a bad start it it really really seems like um, you know was just expecting things to get worse and worse as the game went on but you know clearly it didn't. Um, but I just can't put my, my thumb on this one here. You know, it's been two weeks, and Jamison Crowder looks like he's just a non existent factor of this team. And we've seen this with several other players in this offense to where guys just go the entire game. And it's like, are they even suiting up today? Uh, we've seen this in the past with Bell. We've seen it with Robbie. Now it's happening to Jamison. We've been talking about, you know, where's Chris Herndon? You know, we've been looking for him for 10 weeks, and, you know, he finally just, you know, shows up this past Sunday um, and makes a couple plays. So it's got to be a collaboration of just poor offensive scheme, play calling we know needs to improve. And, you know, quarterback play has to to be a factor in this. Um, You know, I kind of got a little uh, heat from Twitter earlier critiquing Sam Darnold. And I asked somebody flat out, I said, what is the big difference between, you know, Flacco and Darnold at this point? Oh, it's it's the targets. Okay, well, we don't really have great targets. I don't know why we keep, you know, um, boosting the, the, this wide receiver core. Um, Mims is looking good. Um, Crowder uh, is reliable uh, out of the slot, but we know that he, he's had health issues throughout the years. And Perriman's been kind of, you know, one and the same. We know that he has the ability to stretch the defense, but he's another guy that sees himself in and out of the lineup due to injuries. So, you know, my whole thing on this is that it's a, it's a mix of inconsistent quarterback play with bad coaching and a poor game planning scheme and then just not being able to execute what they, what they need to do out there. Um, I think it's a collaboration of all of those things. Uh, but as far as the Darnold and Flacco thing, and, and, you know, I, I didn't prepare you for this question, Glenn, but you know, what is it that, that Flacco's doing that Darnold's not that makes this offense look so much better in in your opinion?
0: Well, I, I, I think, I don't think there's any doubt it's the targets, Alex, you, you may disagree, but go back to the new England game. That was the first time all three receivers were on the field together this year And whether it was – and it it could be just a respect thing for Flacco that Bill Belichick has that he doesn't have have for Sam Darnold. But I noticed it again yesterday, and I said it during the New England game. Um, I didn't see nearly as many all-out blitzes against Flacco the last two weeks uh, in comparison to what Darnold has seen all year. Um, You know, I I want to – I do everything I can to not give Darnold a free pass because he has made a lot of terrible decisions. But when I watch these games and I consistently see six blockers and seven rushers and seven blockers and eight rushers and five blockers and six or seven rushers, like there's always a free guy coming at Sam Darnold constantly. And I think defenses feel like they can do that for two reasons. One, Darnold hasn't proven he can beat that. Um, But I think he hasn't proven he can beat that because he hasn't had the guys. Look, Braxton Berrios is a nice player, but he's not Crowder. You know, Brashad um, Perriman, to me, the last couple of weeks, you look at the numbers he put up two weeks ago, then the numbers he put up this week, he was wide open down the field a couple of times and Flacco missed him. This guy, I mean, you're right in that he's battled injuries. And that's really the biggest question with him at this point, because as far as I'm concerned, if you look at that late season production he had last year in Tampa, where people said, oh, is that the real guy? Or was that a fluke? I don't think it was a fluke anymore. We're seeing him do it here too. So I think he's a guy who's now a good enough player that you can count on to make plays down the field. And that's something defenses will have to account for. Denzel Mims on the other side, the guy is, look, I mean, he catches everything that, that it's catchable. The only way teams have been able to stop him is to, is to interfere, you know, impede his progress, grab an arm, do something. And even then he's coming down with some of these balls. So, I, I mean, I think this next, if, if Darnold is back this week, which is something that they're saying is a more now a, a more realistic possibility than it was a few weeks ago, this is huge for him. I mean, because really, you can say there's no excuses for a guy, but that's like, to me, sometimes that's just like tough guy talk. Like any quarterback, and, and this has been the case with Sam Donald the last few years, he's always sort of, you know, the, the, the in the top three in terms of, you know, how frequently he's pressured, and he rarely has good targets around him to rely on when he is pressured. So this might be these final six games, if Darnold is back, this might be the first time as a Jet that we see him with decent, not great, but decent pass protection and, and legitimate targets at three different spots. And might I add, my guy, Chris Herndon, after an embarrassing drop, another embarrassing drop, made two pretty damn good catches. Uh, one sort of overthrown over his head where he had a, Twist and contort himself, you know, falling backward in the air, pull the ball in for a twenty-six yarder, and then a a leaping fingertip grab for a touchdown late in the game. That's the Chris Herndon we saw in it, you know, late in his rookie year that, that had us thinking he could be a an up and coming player. So if Donald's protection improves and Herndon has his head on straight and can start making a couple, even three or four catches a game is just enough to be accounted for to not be a complete non factor. If Herndon can do that, and even if he can't. Let's say hypothetically Herndon just doesn't see any more. It goes back to one target a game. Just Perriman, Mims, and Crowder gives Darnold, and it, I don't think it's even close. This will be the best one, two, three punch Sam Darnold has had at wide receiver and the best pass protection he's had to throw. So if, if he comes out Sunday and teams say, all right, let's, let's make this guy beat the blitz again, and if they blitz the hell out of him and he panics and he can't get it done, then he's done. But if he hits on a couple of throws and teams, teams ease up on the blitzing and he gets a little more time in the pocket and they put up some numbers, now it's a different – and now, you know, <clears throat> fans don't want it. But, I mean, if Donald comes out I – think, I think the Jets right now, Alex, and I was going to touch on this at some point, if you look at it, they're kind of locked in now to the top two. The only way the Jets don't pick in the top two is if they win three games. I don't see them winning three games. But when you look at the way, uh, you know, Miami's offense has been pretty inconsistent. They pulled two of the other day because he couldn't move the ball. And you look yeah, hope at – I to see
1: that too on Sunday.
0: <laughs> look at the Patriots. I mean, the Jets – the Jets – the Jets nearly beat the Pats. And that was without, uh, you know, without Sam Darnold. But, again, I mean, Flacco played excellent in that game. But as we – you know, Br- Bryce Hall – and we're going to cover the rookie play um, Here in a little bit, uh, Dylan Terriman, our Jet Nation contributor and part-time host on this program, is going to call in and we're going to talk exclusively about the rookies with Dylan. But if Bryce Hall, I thought he played all right yesterday considering we saw we saw Lamar Jackson get beat on some plays but wasn't really, you know, he's an undrafted rookie. You don't expect great things. He was in some pretty good position and, uh, and San Diego just made some great throws. Defense keeps them in a couple games and Sam Darnold plays the way let's say for example plays the way he did late last year i don't you know you're not guaranteed the top pick anymore as far as i'm concerned now a jacksonville win against the browns this week would be fantastic um i don't know if you knew this about the browns alex i tweeted this earlier Um their offense has been unbelievably inconsistent they have scored 10 points or less in three of their last five games and uh but the games where they didn't score 10 or less, they scored 37 and 22. So the Browns are a boomer bust offense. Now they're going to be without mm-hmm. Miles Garrett this week. So maybe, I mean, God, Jacksonville's got to pull off a damn win somewhere and give us some breathing room. Um, and for my money, Alex, honestly, if the Jets are going to win a single game this year, I want it to be Seattle. I, I, I want them to beat Seattle. <laughs> and then when they come out when after the game, I, want, I just want Sam Darnold or – I don't care who I want them to say, yeah, the game plan this week, all we talked about was finding Jamal in coverage and targeting him. Cause you can't cover anybody. Like I-, I want, that would, that would be like, that would make, I don't know if it'd make the whole season worth it. It'd be the highlight of the year. Um, they're not going to beat Seattle though. It's not going to happen, but yeah. But to answer your question, yes, I-, I think it's the targets. And I think because of the targets, teams haven't respected the jets downfield passing game. Now with Mims Crowder Perriman and if Herndon starts coming on, then teams are going to have to respect that. You're not going to be able to just sell out and send seven, eight guys and leave those guys. one-on. I mean, go ahead and leave Denzel Mims one-on-one all day with somebody and let Sam Donald just throw jump ball after jump ball. Because Denzel Mims has shown that he can catch a ball with with somebody like on him, like the DB's hand was between his hands yesterday and Mims pulled it down. So guys either interfere yeah. or he makes the catch. You want to leave him and Perriman on the other side can beat you deep. So you want to give Donald a bunch of one-on-one matchups and really, that what makes the Jets a little bit dangerous. And I, I'm not saying it because it's the Jets. I've I've said this in the past when you see these 0 and 8, 0 and 9, 0 and 10, 0 and 11 teams play, they'll have that game where they're like, you know what? Let's just throw everything out the out the window. We're just gonna go out there and throw the ball down the damn field and see what happens. And you do that enough times, and before you know it, you know you put up uh, 24 points in the first half, and teams are like, oh my god, what's going on? So that's the answer to your question. And in terms, as far as I'm concerned, it is the receivers. Darnold has yet to play with him this Sunday. We finally get to see Sam Darnold with his top three guys and some decent protection. It it could get interesting if if Sam Darnold pulls a couple of wins out of his hat. But um, as I said, Dylan Terman is going to join us to talk a little bit about the play of the rookies this weekend, and he is on the line right now. Dylan, how are you doing today, buddy?
2: Hey, Glenn. I'm doing well. How about
0: you? Doing good, doing good. So me and Alex were just talking about the – what we think the difference is between Joe Flacco and Sam Darnold. Um, And, and, and actually one thing I didn't mention, Alex, um, that, uh, you know, just you have to acknowledge Flacco has just, regardless of the circumstances, Flacco has just been better than Darnold. One of the things he has done better, and this could be an experience thing. He's just been so much more decisive. Although yesterday he took a couple of sacks where he hesitated a little bit, but by and large, when we've seen these big plays out of Flacco, it's, you know, snap two, three steps and just let it fly whereas we haven't seen a lot of that from Darnold. So these next uh, six games for Sam Darnold could very well dictate the direction his career takes because really if, if he wins – listen, if Sam Darnold plays lights out and you win two games, or maybe – I mean, three is highly unlikely. But let's say, let's say you average 28 points a game over the final six games of the year. Then you go, you know what? Turns out this kid can play. Do you, do you then look to move on? Or do you say, we're going to take Sewell at, with the second pick or the first pick? I don't think you do. I think you have to take Trevor Lawrence. But can Sam Darnold play well enough to make the Jets second-guess their decision uh, or whatever their decision-making process is at this time? Dylan Terriman, let's talk rookies. What did you think this week? Who impressed you the most? Who impressed you the least? And uh, what what was your overall take on this class? Because a whole bunch of them got a whole lot of reps.
2: Yeah, so just speaking back on the game itself, I thought a handful of the rookies did well. Denzel Mims again coming in showing exactly why he was a second round, probably worth the end of a first round pick. Um, I kind of wanted to compare him to the, you know, the poor man DK Metcalf, as far as his draft situation, you know, he slid in the draft. He, everybody thought going to be a talented wide receiver at the next level. Uh, They weren't exactly sure how he slid to pick 59. And then you immediately see it as soon as he comes back from injury, he's had 40 plus yards. Receiving every game this year, and he's only caught passes in one half of all four of those games. For the first three games, he didn't have catches in the second half, and then in this game it flips around. He had a couple second half catches, no first half target. So I mean, I like Denzel Mims a lot, Makai Beckton. I don't know about you guys, but that guy's large. I mean, he he moves people. Uh, on Lamichael Ryan's touchdown, specifically on the first possession against the Chargers. Makai was engaged with a down lineman in a block and uh, a a linebacker came rushing into the gap to come tackle Pirine and Makai just stuck out his right hand. He moved back about a half a yard, but he absolutely stonewalled two men at the same time. And he's just a people mover. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah was on the Dan Patrick show and said that he's going to be a top three offensive tackle in the next few years. And barring all these uh, minor injuries that keep kicking him out of games and you know, hindering him as far as his development. I think he's going to be a solid guy moving forward. And then another positive from the game, I thought, was Ashton Davis. He's been kind of taking on the Jamal Adams role a little bit of, you know, the 2019 Jamal Adams. He's playing close to the line of scrimmage right outside the box, sometimes in the box. And he's really getting after it in some of the pass rush situations. He's jamming wide receivers, tight ends, running backs that are trying to block him, and he's he's creating pressures on the quarterback um, he had a couple hiccups in the Kansas City game, but I thought overall against the Patriots and uh, the Chargers specifically, he was doing really well. Um, unfortunately, you know, Pete Ryan got hurt Sunday. He was starting to get going a little bit. Um, he averaged 4.1 yards per carry, which you like to see. Um, and then, you know, you saw a lot of Bryce Hall. It was a little up and down. He let up a lot of yards. But he had some heads-up plays. You know, the tackle for loss on Keenan Allen on the bubble screen right in the beginning, it was a heads-up play. Um, So, overall, I mean, you have to be slightly impressed. There's, you know, still a handful of guys left to get on the field yet. But, overall, I think it's been a positive class.
0: Yeah, I think uh, one thing that worries me, and I don't know how much attention you paid to him, because this is the thing. You know, if you want to watch this many guys this closely, you're going to have to sit down and watch the game 14 times. Um, but one mm-hmm. guy that I watched quite a bit of the last two weeks. And listen, here's the here's the, here's the tough thing in today's NFL. Alex, we've talked about this before. Um, we all want that instant gratification. We all want to see those results right away, even though the fan in us knows you've got to give guys a couple years before they show if they can play or not. But you just want to see a little something early on. And a guy who's been hurt a lot and has, lim- has had limited reps, I think he's got fewer than 50 reps, but I'll tell you what, from what I've seen of Jabari Zuniga, I've seen nothing. I haven't seen, him, I haven't seen a single play where I went, ooh, okay, like that was really good. Like he's either engaged, just no explosion, um, not disruptive. Again, uh, it, it's a little harsh, but we're kind of in a spot where we're, we're desperate to evaluate these guys. But they, you know, a guy like Zuniga who was hurt all year, and then when he's finally healthy, he's only getting you know fifteen, sixteen reps a game. But I'm just watching, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see him do something. Um, and have am I nuts, or have you seen anything from him, Alex? Same question to you. Have you seen anything from Zuniga that makes you feel like because you know me, man, I, this was my Brian Edwards spot. I wanted Brian Edwards in the spot where Zuniga went, uh, but Zuniga's okay. here. Um, what are your thoughts? And is it, I mean, even as I'm asking the question, I'm acknowledging it's a little early. He didn't have a training camp. He didn't have a preseason. Um, but at the same time, it's about, you know, lining up against the man across from you and beating him regardless of what level of play and Zuniga's looked really lost early on. Alex, what are your thoughts? And then Dylan, you chime in.
1: Yeah. I've been wondering the same thing. Um, you know, he was active a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, and it really seems that, you know, is it part of Greg Williams scheme and his rotation? Um, you see the type of guy where, you know, the more reps he gets, the the longer he's in the game, the more you'll get out of him. You know, is he one of those guys that just doesn't uh, react or play well, you know, coming off cold off the bench? Um, just not really sure where that is. Um, you know, for a lot of these rookies, they're either playing um, undisciplined football because, you know, they're they're just going, um, you know, 110%, and, and they're neglecting their responsibilities and, and, and not, you know, playing disciplined football. Not really sure what it is with this kid. Um, I know that Greg Williams has a lot of dis- different personnel packages, and if you're not showing the mental aspect of the game, you can have all the physical traits in the world. Uh, we know this from Jachai Polite. What we saw on on film showed us a you know madman coming off the corner with you know really really good uh, acceleration coming off the line of scrimmage. Someone that can penetrate the pocket and be disruptive. And then he comes into camp and he doesn't know his playbook. He's showing up late. Doesn't look like he's in great shape. Just not showing the mental aspect of to compare with the physicality of what he brings to the field. And that's why he's not a Jet right now. Um, I'm not trying to compare Polite to Zuniga, even though they came from the same school and everything. But for me, it just kind of seems like right now he is not up to speed with everyone else. And like you alluded to, Glenn, um, the injuries and and being limited and being in, you know, a – crazy 2020 year where everything has changed um, you know it's probably much harder for a a player like him being in a defensive lineman role uh, to pop out um, to to us fans I mean you'd think that he would have some opportunities with some of the other guys out there that are being effective but at this moment um, there's a lot to be desired with Zuniga
2: yeah I think you summed it up pretty well there Alex I mean the rotation in the defense was the one thing I had written in my notes. Seems like a little too undersized for the three four scheme that the Jets mainly run at the core. And Greg Williams also likes to run a lot of nickel defense. So the rotation is just gonna be hard for him to find a spot that actually sticks. I mean, is he an edge or is he a D lineman in a in a nickel or a three four? It's really hard to tell. He seems to be standing up mainly when he's on the field, but the, the ones that stand up in the nickel package are Jordan Jenkins, Terrell Basham, and then sometimes Bryce Huff. So, I mean, all three of those guys are contributing at this moment in time. So it's going to be really hard for him to actually like crack a spot in this lineup. So, yeah, it's kind of tough to evaluate him from this standpoint. And I think a lot of people, uh, like Glenn said, wanted a Brian Edwards who, you know, went two picks later to the Raiders. So that's really unfortunate there when you look at it that way. But then they also look at the the Florida helmet and they see edge position and they're like, oh no, Ja'Kai Polite 2.0, which this guy is not Ja'Kai Polite. And I know a lot of people were excited about Polite coming in, but they just need to wait on Zuniga because until he finds an actual role in this defense, it's just going to be too hard to tell what he is. But um, I mean, keep it going with the youth movement, just play him. And if he can't make it happen, then you take him out, but you just won't know until you you actually play him.
0: Yeah. And and that's the thing is, is getting these guys, the reps, getting them up to speed. As I said, tough to call. And I'm, I had a look, he's, he's played 45 reps. I mean, that's literally, that's like one game um, for a starter. So uh, definitely too early to judge the guy but you just there's that part of you that says all right once this guy gets on the field i just want to see him make one play like blow up one block or get to the quarterback and give you that reason to say all right there, there's something he can do um i've seen him get knocked on his uh knocked on his back a few times but listen you know he's, he's still he's a year one guy who, who didn't have a lot of prep coming into it aston davis i agree there alex what have you thought you know the jets have clearly decided to use him um, as Dylan said, in that Jamal role, we're seeing him get after the quarterback. hasn't gotten to the quarterback yet. He did have himself a couple of pressures yesterday and also led the team, I believe, with 13 tackles, so he was all over the field. Um, what are your thoughts on Ashton Davis at this point?
1: Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I'm pleasantly surprised. I, I had some doubts with his abilities and, you know, coming in, being labeled as a track star and... uh Just kind of, how could you fill the shoes of 33? Um, Kind of impossible. Um, And then Marcus May kind of got moved around a little bit. Uh, I like the fact that Greg Williams has addressed the fact that Marcus May belongs as the single high safety doing deep coverage responsibilities and, and orchestrating the defense, or the secondary rather, of what their roles are supposed to be. You know, you put May inside the tackle box It's a different point of view and he's not able to kind of be the shot caller for the defense like he did when when Jamal was on the team. So even though Davis is no Jamal Adams, I have come impressed with his activity. Um, he's not afraid to, you know, stick his shoulder on somebody. Um, he hasn't been super disruptive um, in the backfield like Jamal, but, hey, 12 tackles or, you know, 11 or 12 tackles, whatever his stat line was this past weekend – definitely shows that he has an ability to to find the ball carrier and make a play um, so so that's definitely helpful and you know as far as what we've seen from effort from our secondary from consistent play and things like that um, developing a little bit of a rapport now and and making kind of a name for himself on this defense and and i I feel a little bit better about you know the Ashton Davis that I'm seeing now than I did a few months ago because I did have question marks about you know how is it going to be effective having like you know two glorified free safeties on the team and somebody that can't come into the tackle box and be disruptive so a lot of those questions are starting to be answered um i I do think that he's still raw, but what I'm seeing right now there's definitely something that you can build on for the future and it looks like he could possibly be a you know a foundation piece in the secondary um for years to come
0: now one guy who's not a rookie but uh only a second year guy who was injured most of his first season so i wanted to discuss him briefly because <clears throat> i wanted to get into uh the cornerback position a little bit bless austin now placed on ir for a few weeks with uh, a neck injury first they said it might be something then they said it was nothing then they said they were putting him on ir so just a weird Yet another very strange, weird handling of an injured player. But from what we've seen, if you look at, uh, you know, we're, we're expecting big things from Bryce Hall with, the, you know, the highly highly touted guy out of college. He's expected to become a starting corner. Um, what about Bless Austin? I mean, has he done enough where you feel like he might – or has he done enough that he'll warrant consideration as a starter? Or do the Jets have to say – look, we're going to have to use another premium pick on a corner because uh, Bless isn't a guy we're going it, to – but, you know, we don't view him as a lock to win a starting job.
2: You, you want to take this one first, Alex?
1: No, go right ahead, Dylan.
2: All right. Yeah, so, I mean, I personally haven't been the biggest Bless Austin fan this season. I know he's been somewhat productive. He has 33 tackles, two for a loss. He had the forced fumble week one against Josh Allen. And, you know, people were really excited about him taking on a bigger role this year on the outside. And I think that so far he's kind of underwhelmed. And now with this, kind of, this injury thing is kind of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a little strange. I mean, I read a Manish report a couple minutes before I called in. And he was just saying that Bless Austin told teammates that this was only going to take a couple days of rest to get back to where he needed to be. And then a couple, you know, within hours or days, he seems to be on the IR missing three of the last six games, which, I mean, I think this is huge for his development. I think at this point they don't know what they have in him enough to say, Hey, we're solid at the position between him, Bryce Hall, you know, the other random names that we have back there, like Guidry, Jackson, uh, Molet, I think, cornerback is going to be a position that this team targets i think he could still make a name for himself next year if he doesn't come back healthy enough this year just uh to make a make a name but personally was not impressed with what i saw so far from him this season all right well dylan thanks so much for tuning in and
0: joining us um this is a jet nation contributor jet nation radio contributor dylan Turman he'll be joining us regularly on the show have a great night dylan
2: Awesome! Thanks, guys. Have a safe, happy Thanksgiving.
0: You too. Thank you.
2: All right, Alex, you there?
1: I am here.
0: All right. So that did that literally brought, brings us into the uh, the next thing I wanted to discuss, which is um, I mean, I brought <laughs> excuse me. I did I did ask post a question to Dylan, but I wanted to discuss it with you because as and a lot of it had to do with as I said the way and Williams is playing, the way John Franklin Myers is playing. Uh, if you're the Jets, let, let's assume it's safe to say they're going with a quarterback at one or two, um, wherever, wherever, they, wherever they land. From there, with that, sec, with that second first rounder, that Seattle pick, you know, it's always been kind of my mind, I either want a dominant interior lineman, because there's rarely an edge rusher there that late in the draft. But keep in mind, that was, and I think I mentioned this a couple shows ago, this is when I, like in my mind, Seattle was going to be picking no higher than sort of 30th after the first few weeks of the season when they were setting the world on fire. Now that it looks like you could be picking in the early mid-20s, that maybe there's an edge rusher there. But if you're the Jets, do you go with an edge guy who you think can be a playmaker? Or do you go with a corner? Because I really feel like with Quinn and Williams, with John Franklin Myers, who knows what Huff will become off the edge. I think, I think Terrell Basham is a better player than he gets credit for. I think if you had those guys and you shore up the corner, the, uh, the cornerback position, those guys can start getting a little more pressure on the quarterback. Um, because listen, as it is now, these guys are beating the guy across from them, but the quarterback, the ball's coming out so quick because these corners are getting beat. And I mean, the safeties too, not as, not as consistently, but do you target a, a number one corner or do you target an edge rusher with that, with that first round pick, with that second first round pick, if you're the Jets? And now, you know, listen, this is a conversation. If, if, if there's an all-world dominant, you know, offensive lineman there that you didn't expect to be there, then maybe you just take him. But I'm saying if guys are ranked about similar, you got to choose between a corner who might start for you or an
1: edge who might start for you. What's your priority? You know, I kind of am thinking about the household that is the Jets, and right now um, there's cracks and and there's leaks in the roof, and the foundation is crumbling, and and we're in this sinkhole of 0-10. We don't have a good foundation, Um, and the Jets need to get some pillars on this team, and and I think that one of the pillars that we currently have uh, is Makai Becton. Uh, I think that there's still work to be done at the offensive line, but having a big guy like that definitely helps. When I look at the defensive side, I, I don't see a big pass rushing edge defender. So would it be easier for Joe Douglas to acquire someone that has, that has been proven in free agency and, and making your big ticket splash, being an edge defender? You know, Bud Dupree is somebody that came up in conversation I saw on Twitter last week. Um, that's supposed to test the market, you know, the draft is a gamble. And I don't care how many ones we have. It's pretty much a 50-50 shot whether or not the guy's going to play out. And in New York, we're, already, we're always looking to put players in the microwave, you know, nuke them, get them as hot as we possibly can, as quickly as we can, and throw them out on the field and either produce or, you know, get the hell out of here. Um, I'd much I, – I'd I feel much better with our draft position – Um, building something uh, offensively, Uh, you know, not completely negate the defense because there's still a lot of holes on there too. But I think that, you know, maybe getting a big ticket free agent pass rusher and then being open into that draft to possibly, like you said, getting another bookend tackle to solidify the offensive line would be great for the offense, getting a, um, another wide receiver target, um, with that second first round pick, Now you've got first round and second round talent for your future quarterback. Um, you know, if we're talking about a world with Trevor Lawrence being in the mix, what better way to start his you know career with having Mims as your number two and a possibly number one wide receiver option um, on the back end of that first round? Um, I think that that would be a good way to create some foundational pieces in your offense. Um, But, you know, obviously defense wins games, as they say. So, you know, in those those second, those day two picks, you know, maybe that's where the Jets might want to look for pass rushing depth. Um, We definitely need to uh, continue to get more talent on the defensive backfield side. Um, You know, we just lost Brian Poole. And right now we're going with Arthur Millett, um, who I believe is one of the UDFAs, and I don't know what his contract is, but my guess is that he's probably not on the 2021 um, roster or salary for next year. So you're going to be looking to address the nickel cornerback position yet again, and then you have a bunch of question marks with young players on the outside for your corners. And from what we've seen from other teams, um, the offense offensive teams are rolling this year um, maybe it's a bad just a bad year for for defensive teams um, all around because we we haven't seen scoring like this in, in years so um, clearly having strong quality outside corner play is vital uh just you know to have good chemistry on your team so i I do kind of feel that the jets need to either prioritize off season for a certain side of the the bowl and then go into the draft, possibly looking offensive, um, you know, looking for offensive talent for the future. That would kind of be maybe my, you know, makeshift plan I would put together in my mind right now. Clearly that'll change as we get closer to April, 2021, but yes, foundational pieces are are what this team needs and, and we don't have, any of that going on right now? Um, you know, still a lot of question marks going on in different areas. So, um, if you can kind of check off the big position play, um, player slots, um, that might help. You know, coming back into 2021 and, and being a little bit more competitive. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's. I like
0: the fact that <clears throat> despite the terrible record, I think from what we what we've seen. From Quinn and Williams and and Makai Bechtin, I think those guys are going to be studs. I think Denzel Mims. It's it's hard it's hard to say he will be because it's only a couple games. But everything you saw from him in college made you think he was going to be a stud, and now just the way he's played through those first couple games, you're like, okay, he, he's he's going to be a legitimate guy moving forward. So there are probably more pieces at at integral parts on 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 this roster. That, you know, even no Quinn and Williams isn't an edge rusher, but look, this guy's got what three and a half, four sacks. He had back to back weeks where he had a quarterback wrapped up, and for whatever reason, they weren't called for grounding. They, you know, dumped the ball off before he pulled him to the ground. I think he's a guy who, from the inside, can be an eight, nine sack a year guy, which isn't all that bad. And I just feel like if you uh, if you had a corner, and, and again, I'm not saying you're wrong, Alex, just, you know, there's a million different ways to go about this. Um, I just look at edge and corner, and I feel like, there's enough talent there right now to put pressure on the quarterback and would a corner help there. And I'm not even saying that's definitely what I would do. It's literally, it's a thought I had as I was watching the all 22 again today, I saw so many plays where the, where the D line got pressure and, but the ball came out so quick. You just think, damn, if if the coverage was a little better, if, if they were good enough to play a tight man, you know, a a tight man scheme where, where the, where the the quarterback can't just get rid of the ball in 1.2 seconds, because the guy's already open, you know, when you got guys playing off, you got guys playing zone, they just don't have the personnel to play, sort of, you know, get up on a guy's face, play press man, and and give your defense a chance to make a play up front. So, you know, we'll see moving forward. But I I also think that the, uh, I think Joe Douglas, and I could be wrong, I think he's going to look to move that second first round pick to add some picks. I think Joe Douglas is going to want to come out of this draft with, I mean, of course, every GM would love to have as many picks as possible, but Joe Douglas is going to be the only GM who probably is going in with a winless team and a whole boatload of expiring contracts. So Joe Douglas needs bodies. So I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Douglas says, how can I come out of it right now? They're sitting at nine picks. I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Douglas says, how can I maneuver this to get myself 13, 14, 15 picks? um, Even if he, you know, adds more picks for next year's draft, Uh, you know, that remains to be seen plenty of time to talk about that stuff but that was sort of a a thought that crossed my mind and I was I was wondering what your thoughts were but in terms of guys and and we'll we will probably cover this more in depth next week Alex because um the list is long I want to go over guys who are under contract whose contracts are expiring who's worth keeping around Um, because look keep in mind even though even though you need more talent you're not going to go out and get 45 new players this offseason like, there are some guys on the roster right now who you may not love, but they'll probably be back next year. Um, but if you had to pick one or two guys, Alex, I think Marcus May and Brashad Perriman, um, and I actually saw Connor Hughes tweet uh, the, almost the exact same thing yesterday, keep those guys. When I think of the guys who have one year left on their deal, those two guys should be the top priority in terms of who do we try to retain. Um, what, what do you, and, and I want to focus on Perriman, though, because, you know, having mentioned him earlier, uh, we talked about his health and how he's had a hard time staying on the field. But if he stays healthy the rest of the way, and I'm not talking about a five-year, $70 million deal. I'm thinking if you can get Brashad Perriman to come back for, you know, three years, $14 million, something in that neighborhood, uh, I mean, hell, if he keeps playing the way he is, you won't get him that cheap. But if he keeps playing right. well, you try to bring Brashad Perriman back for some – I mean, I just see it as the Jets are not a good enough team to let – some of their few good players leave. They need as many good players that they can get. Rashad Perriman is starting to look like he is one of them. Do you try to retain him before he hits
1: free agency? Yeah, he's an interesting player. Um, you know, I think we've had 10 games so far. He's participated in six of them. So his eligibility has been 60% of the season so far. Uh, you know, if that's going to be the theme with him, You know, kind of only being in three-quarters of the season availability, I'm not willing to spend that kind of money or invest, you know, quality wide receiver money into a player that's only going to be there, you know, maybe 12 games for you uh, or less. Um, I understand that he's been the best wide receiver that we've had in the last two games with three touchdowns. Uh, let's just kind of look at the history of this guy. He He's a streaky player. Uh, he's not consistent. And a lot of his success has kind of been on the back half of uh, the the second half of the season. So maybe this is his time to shine. But, you know, he could probably prove me wrong and score two touchdowns this Sunday. But uh, I don't know at the moment. I, I, I saw some people tweeting about this the, the, earlier this morning, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, And I'm kind of sitting there saying, I don't know, you know, we had Robbie Anderson playing way better than what Perriman has done this year at this point in time of the year, last year. And we, we weren't making deals with, with Robbie Anderson. We were looking to make trades for Robbie Anderson. Um, So I don't know Um, if Perriman continues his play and let's say he ends, ends up with another three touchdowns before the season's out. And, you know, we're looking at a season of, you know, 600-plus yards with six touchdowns, and and he plays 12 games out of this year. If the price is right, sure. I wouldn't mind kicking the tires on him for another year. Investing into him long-term, I'm not sure if I'm ready to do that, um, especially knowing um, the talent that's going to be available to us in next year's draft and some of the uh, – the free agent wide receivers that are also going to be testing the market next year. I just kind of feel like we could do a little bit better. Um, And I know this might seem alarming to some of the listeners right now, because it's like, hey, this guy's looked great the last two weeks. Yeah, you know, uh, we're we're looking at seven receptions for 155 yards and three scores. Looks really, really good on paper. But you look at the four games before these last two weeks, and that's not really – the kind of play that you want. Um, if we're talking about, you know, Mims being a number one and Perriman being a number two, um, what we're seeing from Perriman is what you should expect from a number four wide receiver, not a number two wide receiver.
0: But I, I will say in, in fairness to Perriman, uh, starting with that Miami game, we have it's kind of similar to what Robbie, Anderson <laughs> excuse me, damn cough hasn't gone away. <clears throat> um, similar to what we saw with Robbie Anderson and his time as a jet, we're seeing him get open down the field quite a bit. And, uh, and Sam right. Darnold has mis- misfired a few times. And then Joe Flacco uh, – well, actually, I think it was Flacco in the Miami game, too, wasn't it? But uh, we've, we're seeing him get down the field and get behind defenses. And, uh, you know, I know his production last year was late in the season. But if you think back to his situation there, um, Tampa Bay was stacked at wide receiver. And it wasn't until enough guys got hurt that he got on the field. And then all of a sudden, he's putting up, you know, 85 to 110 yards per game you know, five out of the last six weeks of the year. Now we see a missed time this year. He comes back and he's he's kind of playing at the same level. I mean, look, he had, what, 60, 70 yards yesterday or 50, whatever it was. If Flacco hits him on that deep ball, that was another 50, 60 yarder. Um, so he's a guy that if the quarterback play is good, he's looking like a guy who's going to be very productive. The main thing, again, with him is injuries. So I think, you know, as I said earlier, these are the six most important games of Darnold's career. Um, these six games are pretty big for Perriman, too. Because if he can stay healthy, he might find himself getting a pretty decent payday. And um, I don't think I would mind having him on board for another year with Mims and whatever rookie they choose to go with. Um, but that'll do it for us this week on Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe this, team, this, this team plays competitively and, and, and they piss everybody off and they win a football game. Uh, we'll have to stay tuned and find out. But as I said, man, it's right now, these last six weeks, if Sam Darnold blows everybody's doors off, uh, the Jets are going to have some decisions to make. I think he probably just raises his trade stock and maybe they get a first rounder for him instead of the second that Ian Rappaport speculated on a couple months ago. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Alex, thanks for joining me. And our thanks again for, to Dylan Terriman of Jet Nation and Jet Nation Radio for, uh, for calling in to join us and talk about the rookies. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24.
2: Until next time,
0: go Jets!